all day long, your body is saying, fire alarm, fire alarm, fight or flight, run. And I was like, mm-hmm. Like I was sitting with him and my back felt like it was on fire. I was like, see, it's crazy. It's happening right now. It's Feel it. I think it's really hot. He was like, no, your chemicals are so messed up that your body doesn't know where you're supposed to be. Your adrenals are on fire. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every week to listen, learn and grow. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I can't believe it. My new book, Eight Rules of Love, is out and I cannot wait to share it with you. I am so, so excited for you to read this book, for you to listen to this book. I read the audiobook. If you haven't got it already, make sure you go to eightrulesoflove.com. It's dedicated to anyone who's trying to find, keep, or let go of love. So if you've got friends that are dating, broken up, or struggling with love, make sure you grab this book. And I'd love to invite you to come and see me for my global tour, Love Rules. Go to jshettytour.com to learn more information about tickets, VIP experiences, and more. I can't wait to see you this year. Now, you know that I love sitting down with people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, who are adding meaning, impact, and purpose into the world that have an incredible presence and use it to do so much good in the world. And today's guest is someone who has been so kind to me, so gracious to me online and offline. And our first interaction was actually this January when I announced me being the chief purpose officer at Calm. And we did a series of lives. And when this guest today said, yes, I was over the moon because I love her energy. Uh, I followed her for a long, long time, admire her work. And for her to say yes was a dream come true. So today's guest is none other than Megan Trainer. And Megan first made history in 2014 with her diamond certified hit single, all about that bass. Since then, the award-winning singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist has garnered a Grammy for Best New Artist, achieved eight multi-platinum singles and two platinum albums, sold out three world tours, penned multi-platinum hits for peers across pop and country, and received countless industry awards and nominations. Now, on top of all of that, last fall, we got to watch Megan as the host of Top Chef Family Style on Peacock and as a judge on Clash of the Cover Bands on E! In September of 2021, she also launched her podcast, Working On It, which she hosts alongside her brother, Ryan. Megan has recently released her new single, Bad For Me, which by the way, my producer has been singing and listening to all week, featuring Teddy Swims, along with the announcement of her fourth full-length album, Taking It Back, arriving October 21st, 2022. Mark the date. Welcome, Megan Trainer. Megan, thank you for being here. You're amazing. No, you're amazing. <laughs> you did all of that. You I had to, can't believe you, you it. You had to live it. You had to create it. You had to write it. I mean, it's incredible wow congratulations thank you i sound so cool <laughs> you are when you say it yeah even just your energy walking in today and I, I saw you come out the car and just your presence your energy everything that you said i was just like this is my kind of human like this is the kind of person that i want to be around <gasps> you'll adopt me okay yay <laughs> thank you uh, thank you for being here honestly thanks for having me i'm honored you are you're like oprah you're amazing what you do for everyone in the world and I'm honored and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks for letting me be here. I, I'm humbled and touched by that. I actually got to say that to Oprah, to Oprah. because yep. she, I grew up watching her 
And so for me, when I finally got to interview her, her book was coming out. We got to do the first interview. It was very exciting for me. And I said to her afterwards, I said, hey, Oprah, like, you know, I, I think I do what I do because I grew up watching you and you showed me that you can make meaningful stuff really powerful and it can be really mainstream. It doesn't have to be in this little box over here. And what she said to me is really special. She said that Maya Angelou said to her mm -hmm. that her best work will not be the impact she makes but the impact that the people she impacts make. And I just thought that, so anyway, I, I appreciate, but I'm passing it on to Oprah. And, and passing you're my it Oprah. And passing it on. Thank you so much. Uh, but I want to dive into so many things with you today because you're just such a interesting, fascinating person. Okay. Uh, but the first thing I want to ask you is, you have a secret door in your home. I do. I want to know all you know about it. Because, How did you know that? <laughs> because to me, yeah, of course. Because to me, secret doors... Like that's the kind, when you just showed me your garden too, and I'm not going to give anything away, but those are the kind of homes I get fascinated about because they're the kind of homes you dreamed of as a kid. Yeah, literally. So, so tell me about the secret I'm door. creating my dream house for when I was a child. Yeah, that's what I'm doing right now for my future four children. <laughs> I have one now, but he can barely walk. So we'll get there. Um, but I have a secret door in my house. And uh, the house I bought is really cool. Not a lot of houses in LA have attics and basement. And I have both in this house. And my husband, we did so much construction and he was like, the only thing I want, I'm like, oh, yes, what would you like, babe? And he was like, um, a secret door. So it looks like a bookshelf. And I was like, done. Absolutely. We're doing that. Um, and it's the best part of our tour. When we give tours of our house, everyone's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Where does it lead to? Um, an attic and that I'm turning into like the best kids playground ever that I want to do like homeschooling eventually in. So yeah, we got like slides up there and <laughs> That's incredible. I, I'm, I'm inviting myself over just yes. right now already. It's so fun, man. Yeah, <laughs> my house is gonna be sick one day when it's done. I love it, I'm very excited. I, I went to a home when I first moved to LA, I think I was living here already. And it's the coolest house I've ever been to. His name's Frank Luntz. And he's a speech writer for most of the presidents of the United States. And that's, that's his career to write speeches, teach people communication. And we spoke at a conference together in Singapore and his presentation was amazing and somehow he liked mine. And so we became friends over it uh, at the end and we got connected and he lives in LA too. And he was like, all right, when you're back, come over to my house. I was like, great. He's in his like mid fifties or something. And so I went over for dinner at his house and his house is like a museum. Like he has the first shirt that Nelson Mandela wore to the United States. And he has like all of these incredible documents, like the invite that JFK received before the assassination like he has he's just like these really amazing things and we went into this room and it had this it wasn't the titanic it was another famous boat like a structure of it and there was a little winston churchill in the corner and he asked me to stroke winston churchill's head and that's when things got really weird and then i looked at my phone i had no data i had no signal i was really scared and so i, I saw the little winston churchill and he goes yeah stroke his head three times and i was like this is getting really weird but okay i stroked winston churchill's head three times and this trap door. door opened and it was so cool. And I'll, sh I'll save the rest of it for later. But anyway, my point being, I love trap doors. Um, you also have, you also have, uh, not trap doors. I love secret doors. <laughs> secret doors. I love dungeons. Okay. Yeah, I love dungeons. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from London. Sick. The dungeon, yeah. Dungeons are a big thing in London. The London dungeons is a great attraction for anyone who's wondering. But you also have two toilets. I do toilets. Can you, can you explain that too? Wow, you really got to come over to my yeah. house. You got to see all this. Yeah, I'm, I'm very fascinated by aesthetic. My and weird stuff. Um, yeah, okay, so in our bedroom <laughs> upstairs, 
there's one bathroom and the other bedrooms are farther away and my husband and I get up all night long with the baby we used to now he sleeps he's great but we used to get up all night long and every time I had to pee Daryl would have to pee at the same time and I'd be like get up it's my turn and I remember in this new house we literally like built rooms from scratch and they had a bidet next to the bathroom and I was like we'll never use that but there was an extra hole and then I saw the dream and I was like I have an extra toilet and I was to the plumber I was like can you pop both of these next to each other and he was like what are you talking about <laughs> I was like just right there right next to each other and he like laughed and thought I was joking I was like get it done and he did and it was the best decision ever <laughs> I love like it. if you're really close with your husband like my like we're we're tight we're close to the most yeah we like pee together and it's the best bonding time ever I love like that. I don't know we're not nasty with it but like it's <laughs> it blew up and the whole world is like ew and I have couple friends that are they're older than Daryl and I are we're young we got lucky we met each other at like 22 but they're like you pee in the same room as your husband i'm like oh he'll chill with me if i'm going number two like we <laughs> hang out you know like we don't um, do it at the same time no, but yeah no. <laughs> i love We're it close. well well thank you we wanted to start you're there. welcome yeah so now now everything goes deep there's my bathroom yeah <laughs> but no i love it thank you and thank you for letting us into your home I've, I've been loving following you on tiktok for that reason it's just it's so nice getting to know someone and then meeting someone in person and going oh you're you're even more wonderful in person is, is a great feeling. So, uh, But, but I, I want to go through parts of your journey that, that I thought would be interesting to us and you and just everything you talk about when it comes to mental health and you talk about like toxic relationships. And I just love your openness and vulnerability oh, yeah. in a way that I know my community and audience really needs that insight. Uh, but I want to go all the way back to Nantucket, which is where you grew up. Well, right? and I, yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, the, the feedback that I always hear about is like, it's the cutest town or, it's you know, cute. it's like, tell me about what it was like growing up there for you and, you know, what you dreamed of at that time. The world was so small. Everything was so small. The buildings are small. So when we would go off island, which was like travel anywhere else, we're like, oh, you going off island? Um, like the buildings were huge and there's like traffic lights we're used to stop signs so everywhere else felt huge and I still get scared when I go to New York I'm like well these buildings are way too tall um and like when we park in a parking garage I have full panic because I'm like well we're gonna be late we have to find a parking spot and get a ticket it's a whole thing but Nantucket was great and growing up there though there's there's no mall there's no place for kids to hang out so you start drinking and doing drugs at like 14 wow and like hooking up at a very young age and like when I look back at stuff that we did, I'm like, how was I not murdered or kidnapped or like, how am I not a full blown drug addict? A lot of my friends are. Wow. And even my brother had problems with alcohol and drugs, but he managed it so well that we were like, you don't have a problem. You're just fun, you know? Yeah. And then recently he was like, okay, I need to be sober. Wow. So it was, it's like, if you made it off that rock, like you won, like you survived. So it was a crazy place to live. It's it's so different when I grew up in London, which is obviously this big city and you're always around big buildings. And then I moved to New York and I've lived in Mumbai and now I live in LA. So I've always been moving from big yeah, city to big tough. city. You got that tough, like you can handle it. <laughs> well, you can handle the city, but there's there's also, it takes a lot more effort to feel grounded or to be in yeah. nature or, you know, that took a lot of oh, training. Oh, wow. Took a lot of training yeah. for me to adapt to that. And I also find that, you know, when, you, when you're talking about, I went to Montana recently and, and that's where, when I was speaking to a lot of the uh, people that lived in the area and a lot of the kids there were saying they'd never left. 
Yeah. Um, and they were saying that they all went to the same salon on a Saturday yep. evening and they, that one of them went to NYU for the summer, but then she moved back and she was like, she'd never seen a Chipotle before she'd yeah. moved out of town same. and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and it's always interesting to me because we grow up in such bubbles where you think everyone thinks like you and everyone's yeah. living like you. When was the first time that that bubble kind of was burst or changed or switched? What was the experience where you're like, oh, wow, there's a whole world and people who think differently and um i mean when my parents started bringing me to songwriting conventions like songwriting competitions and i would travel like my my brothers got a gift well it'd be a whole family thing i have two brothers so for christmas one year they're like we're gonna go to california and have megan go to this songwriting thing with ascap and the boys would get to go to the zoo you know so it would always be a family thing but they would make sure the boys got to do something fun too but i i remember like traveling with my family and seeing hollywood and i was like ew but like <laughs> but like oh it's, it's a little different than the movies but then i lived in nashville for a year by myself and that was my college i was 19 and i was like a songwriter i would drive to work at noon and i'd write a song and i'd come home by myself and i did that for a year and then wrote all about that bass and got signed and like had to move to la at 19 so a lot of my friends were like in college and went home for the summer. And I was like, I didn't, I don't know. I feel like I missed a lot of learning steps yeah. and relationships. Like I feel like there's a whole friend group out there that I would have had that I don't know them, you know, because I just went to work, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Like we yeah. did it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah. That's... But I, there's, there's definitely differences that I'm frustrated with, like, I don't know how to do taxes. I don't know how to do many things because at 19, all of a sudden there was a team that did it for me. Yeah. And so when like, I don't know, there's simple tasks that I'm like, I can't, can't imagine doing that, that I feel my, I'm working with my therapist on it. I feel stupid. Sometimes I feel silly and like, and she's like, you're not stupid. Like, look around. And I'm like, yeah, but there's simple things I can't figure out. Geography. I don't know where <laughs> anything is. I don't well, know where well, I am in the well, world. Well, Megan, I want to I share something with you. I promise you that most people who went to college don't know how to do their taxes. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I know what, know what the, the problem, the, I'll be honest with you, me included. And I, I, went to, I went to Cass Business School. Like, I don't know how to do my own taxes. Okay, because, good. Because, and the reason I say that is because you're just never trained in the simple things. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's sad, but no one knows how to get a mortgage or how to, you know, yeah, how to, how no to get their taxes. Like you don't know these until you have to do it. Yeah. And then when you have to do it, you figure it out. Like for me, I had to learn a whole new system when I moved to the US. So just about when I True. figured, so I moved to the US when I was 28. And so- I'm 28. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Mate, you moved to LA when you were 19. So yeah. 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 <laughs> Bit of a different experience. But yeah, no, I, I moved to the US six years ago when I was 28. Okay. And it was like, I just figured out how to do taxes in London. And then I moved yeah, and I had to figure different. it all out again. And so I, you know, I don't think you should be so hard on yourself okay. because, because I'd be honest with you and say, I don't think most people know how to do the things you just mentioned. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, it's, I thought everyone knew. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at that, experience when you talk about going to songwriting competitions yeah it's really interesting because competition often turns people off art and it can often yeah. be a challenge or it's like you're competing at something and then often you lose taste for it. i remember i swam a lot when i was in college and, and high school and i was a pretty good swimmer and my parents really wanted me to be a competitive swimmer and 
I hated the competitive side of swimming. Yeah. I love competition in other areas of my life. I just didn't enjoy it in the water. For you, what was that experience like? Of because that was even younger than nineteen, right? You're going oh, to these yeah. competitions with 17. other kids, yeah, yeah, with other kids. But it and wasn't so, even kids; it was adults. Ad- oh wow! Like it ranged from my age, seventeen, to like fifty-five, where they were like, "I still want to be a songwriter, and here's my chance." And I would like always write on my CDs before we played it. I'd be like, "I produced it myself. Like, be easy on the production." And I was like, I'm just a young girl. I don't know what I'm doing here. And they would critique your songs in front of everyone. So it wasn't like we were competing. It's like, it's at like America's Got Talent kind of, but for yeah, songwriting. but for songwriting. And if you won, you got signed. And my second year I did it. And I was like, Dad, I don't want to go back. And he's like, your album's way better now. Let's go back. The second year I got signed. And everyone's like, Megan's the one that got picked this year. And I was like, I did it. <laughs> That's amazing. But, Do you yeah. remember any feedback from the first year that like stayed oh, with you? Oh, killed or, like, me. Yeah. My lyrics didn't make sense because they didn't. Um, my production was bad. and But they saw potential. They're like, it's in there. You just got to be better at like maybe you shouldn't have said that here or this doesn't really rhyme and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, they don't know anything. I'm like, <laughs> dad, they suck. Um, but then I went home and I wrote a whole new album and sent it in. And then it was like night and day. And they're like, wow, you took our notes and you came back. So it was great and everyone should do it <laughs> and it sucked and it was great but and my parents would make fun of me because i'd be like i don't want to go and they would drag me and then when i'd be like when i'd go i'd be like that was the best thing ever i rock and yeah. they're like see <laughs> how, so, how do people get that courage though because i feel that supportive parents you that was it that was it really my parents believed in me so much and i was bad like i wasn't horrific but i was bad like i hear the songs now and i'm like what were you guys thinking and my mom like nowadays she's like she's still trying to get those 15 year old songs cut like they're sorry not cut uh a lot of people don't know what that's what that means when i say like get a song cut i mean another artist sing it so she's still trying to like sell those songs and i'm like mom they're embarrassing (laughs) like there's sometimes those songs will get pitched and they'll get cut and she's like i knew it like i knew you were good back then and i'm like wow you really believed in me and my parents are those parents that are like everyone should go to college and for me they were like go to work like go be a songwriter this is what you're good at you're gonna do this forever what how do you think they noticed that like what was it in you because obviously, and that's wonderful to hear that, but they obviously saw something yeah. and they saw a habit, a trait, a pattern, yeah. some work ethic. What did they see? I think my worth ethic at a young age, like I wasn't getting all A's in school, but I'd get like B minuses and C's and whatever. But I would come home after school every single day and I would use the production that my dad would get me at Christmas time. I'd use my computer and I would be in GarageBand to Logic and I would write a song after school every day and I'd play it for them by dinner time. So in like four hours, I would write and produce a whole song and be like, check this out. And it was me like loving what I'm doing. It didn't feel like work, but it was also me showing my parents like, thank you for buying this for me. And like, wow. I'm gonna make you proud with this someday. And my dad, my dad was like, this is a credit card where I'm buying all your stuff on. You can pay me back later when you're a successful songwriter. I'm like, wow. I buy you a house. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> how, do, how does it feel now that you're a mom? Like, how does that oh, feel? Man. Like, how are you taking parts of those gifts that your parents gave you to yeah, pass I, them on and like my parents were and are the best like my mom she would be here today but like yeah i was i heard she was gonna to, come i was really hoping to meet i her. know yeah. but we're trying to be nice with covid and like keep like we're keep always like safe. pick one person and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but she uh she's my assistant full-blown now like 
Uh, What's that like? It's the best. It's the greatest. I'm lucky and I have a cool mom. A lot of people don't like their moms, but my mom is my best friend. My husband's best friend. They are the same person. I think I married my mom. Wow. (laughs) And um, (laughs) they like could finish each other's sentences. It's crazy. I love that. He's he's sweet. He's He's so sweet. Yeah, he's amazing. They, uh, she's my full assistant because when I had like assistants, I've only had two. One was my best friend and then the second one became my best friend. Wow. And it's, I was just like, it gets uncomfortable. It's like, I don't want to ask you to go get my groceries. But my mom's like, I'm getting groceries. You want me to get some for you? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> like, she's doing it anyways, yeah. you know? My mom was always my assistant forever, but she's not. She's just a loving mom. Yeah. But it's the greatest. And I think having the supportive family is the only reason why I'm here. I mean, I know it is. Yeah. That's and, why and, I keep them close. And how do you try and do that in your own way now? Like, how are you doing that for your kids apart from building them amazing uh, water well, slides? my kid sees my his uncles every day because they live in my house. <laughs> so I'm he's surrounded by family all the time. And I think that's a part of his speech delay yeah. is like, <laughs> like literally they're like, is he the only baby here? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all adults and we all give him whatever he wants immediately. Wow. They're like, so let's wait till he asks <laughs> and then you may give him his snack. I'm like, yeah. not that. So yeah, it's a matter of too much love. But um, I also want to give him three siblings. Like yeah. blah, 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 yeah. immediately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you're working on that? Working on that. Working I think December, I'm going to try to get knocked up. I love it. <laughs> Hope, yeah. I feel like for so many people, family is their contention point, right? Like that's yeah. where they experience toxicity. It's where they experience it could be tricky. generational negative trauma. patterns and trauma. Whereas you have this beautiful setup and you're working on it. Obviously, it's not just like that. What do you think your parents or your family has done right over time to maintain that when you just said that you're your kids surrounded by uncles and like that's so beautiful when it works yeah and then there's so many people who what is it that you think your parents did differently what did or what have you observed i'm intrigued because i think that could be huge for people i'm breaking a lot of uh generational trauma and generational patterns which i've learned with my therapist (laughs) Um, shout out we were shout out my therapist um my new song i said my therapist told me to write you a letter and she's like you put what i was like (laughs) yeah i wrote about it um but as i've learned about like why i am who i am it makes sense through my parents like no one's perfect in my family we look great but there is some darkness there's some clouds and and i've just tried my very best to break all of that and my mom is so good at adjusting and learning and seeing like, oh, we can change. We're not like this forever. Like my mom's side of the family, they never talk about what's bothering them. We call it, her last name was Jekinowski. So we call it the Jekinowski secrets. And they never bring up how they really feel. And I'm like, we're not going to Jekinowski secret this. <laughs> we're going to talk right about it. Here's how you make me feel. Yeah. And um, that has, my mother has changed significantly. The only category where she's still slacking is the self-talk, self-love. Right. Bad. Bad. Yeah. Which is where I got it from. And she knows. So she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, she won't take a picture. Like, she'll say, the camera will break. I'm like, what? That's so aggressive. Like, <laughs> she's so mean yeah. on her and on her, hard Aww. on herself. And I, and she's a part of that generation, too, that, like, refuses to get therapy. Mm-hmm. And my dad. I told them recently, I was like, you would both benefit very well if you had therapy. And they were like, 
I know what's wrong with me. I don't need to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so lost. Like, <laughs> So I'm trying to slowly get them into therapy. And, and I've noticed my brothers now, they're close to their 30s. They have all woken up and seen like, oh, we have alcohol abuse in our family. I should be sober. And that's what my brother has done. And he's like an amazing human now. He yeah. was great before, but he was poisoned, you know? Yes, yes. And then even my younger brother, like... He's just, they're, they've grown up so much. And I think it's by watching me change my ways and change the patterns of the family and break those bad habits yeah. that we can, us millennials, man, we're doing <laughs> some work. It's exhausting, but somebody's got to do it because I will not have my kids have these bad patterns. Yeah. You know what I mean? They'll just so, have other ones now. because Yeah, they'll make up their new stuff. Yeah, they, yeah, no, but that's, I, I love hearing that. And it's, it's wonderful to understand that everyone is needing help from an individual if you want to change an area of your life. Like, I just feel like one of the things I'm certain about is that if I'm serious about something, I better be accountable to someone else in that area of my life, whether yeah. that's a therapist, a coach, a personal trainer, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think if you're privileged enough and accessible enough to have that help in your life, it can make a huge difference. But knowing that your parents aren't doing it yet yet they are using the language my mom oh yeah yeah she's you, much better yeah she's yeah. using the language she my understands dad's like, it my dad's 20 years older than my mom wow so yeah he's like 74 and she's 54 so she's like cool young hip kids and yeah. my dad's like this is how it always is i'm like oh no <laughs> but he's sweet and great i love that in, in the beginning of your journey in music Today, we know that a lot of your relationships inspire it. You just said that, you know, your therapist told you to write a letter. And so like you, you hear the toxic or poor relationships you've been in that have inspired music. What was different about what inspired you back then and what inspires you now? Like, do you, do you ever think about that? Like what inspired your songwriting then and now? Well, back then I was a songwriter writing for other artists. So I was thinking like, what's not on the radio and what, what could be on the radio. But I, when I wrote all about that bass, it was like a joke. Like it was like, I was like, no one's going to cut this. We've wasted a day of work and we'll just write a therapy song for us. Like, cause the co-writer was like a man and it was the first time meeting him. So it's kind of like a blind date. And you're like, where'd you grow up? How are, and, and we both were like, we were chubby kids and we had to learn how to love ourselves. And I was like, how funny would it be? That's like, I ain't no size two, but I can't shake it, shake it. And I'm like, I'm not a confident dancer that dances in front of everyone, but imagine if I was. Yeah. And I remember being like, I'll sing the demo, who cares? And it was like a raw demo with no auto-tune and nothing. But the lyrics hit so many people that they're like, this is going to be huge. Who's singing it? We'll just let her do it. So it was really from like a, a weird raw place. Like I wasn't chasing radio. I wasn't. And I fell into that before when you talk about competition. I didn't know about charts and all that stuff. When they're like, you're number one. I was like, fantastic. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, number one everywhere. They're like, everywhere. I was like, well, that was easy. <laughs> so then anytime I did another song, I was like, it's not number one everywhere. What do you mean? Like, and then I was like, well, maybe I'm not doing what's on the radio. And then yeah, I yeah. caught myself chasing radio and just falling on my face. So with this new album, Taking It Back, I was yeah. like, I'm gonna go back to when I did doo-wop and just didn't care about any charts and anything and just do me. Yeah. And you'll hear that come out. And the first song they put out was a emo, toxic relationship song. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Coming out passionate. <laughs> yeah. 
and so it sounds like it's always been a raw emotion that's yeah. that's gone out and now you're taking it back and yeah. you're going back to that and you're really owning that like with this with this new album would you say that we're hearing you through the healing process are we hearing you healed are we hearing you i think you're, on he the other you're side? hearing like, you're hearing a healed mature mother who um is just ruthlessly honest you know like one song, Don't I Make It Look Easy, that I teased today on my Instagram, um, is like talking about, don't I make this look easy? Like everything's perfect. Because everyone who interviews me is like, you are so fun and yeah. you have the best family yeah. and best life. And I'm like, I cry so much. You just don't mm. know it because I don't film myself and post it, you know? Mm. So I say in the first verse, like I posted a picture. I read all the comments. I hearted the good ones. And if I'm being honest, I probably spent an hour on it. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, and... <laughs> It's just like a fun way of being ruthlessly honest. Ruthlessly. Yeah. That's not a word. But brutally honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your take on that? What you just said of like, there's a lot of people who will say, oh, well, if we're not taking pictures of ourselves crying and our videos of ourselves crying and posting it, we're only posting the highlight reel. Like we hear this all the time. Yeah. What's your personal take on what showing up authentically means to you? Uh I just noticed when I do talk about my fun, private, personal stuff, like my bathrooms, it goes viral. Mm. People love it. People are like, what? She's goofy. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's always a good reaction, which feels great. Yeah. Like I use that as my therapy of like, oh, the world likes me for just who I am. So yeah. I'm just going to do that. And the yeah. more I did that, like literally the more popular I got or the more people wanted to talk to me. The more I just like talk, that's why I did the podcast because we talk about private stuff that yeah. I'm like, normalize it. Like <laughs> I have hard poops, you know, like, and it, it just, it makes, I think it's more relatable and people are like, I have that problem too. Yeah. That's in the first place I saw that was my mental health. When mm. I saw Carson Daly on the Today Show explain a full panic attack, my mom didn't understand what was happening to me. My mm. best friend, she couldn't understand. She couldn't help me when I said, I need to go to the emergency room because I can't breathe. And she was like, just come here, I'll rub your head. I'm like, you don't get me right now. I sent her that article and she was sobbing and was like, I finally get it. Because I couldn't put it into words. And when Carson did it, I was like, you don't know what you did for my whole family. Like, Have you ever told fine. him that? Oh yeah. yeah Every yeah. time I'm at the today yeah, show, I'm like, Carson, yeah. save my life. He saved my family relationship. Yeah. Because I resented them for that. I was like, how do you not understand what I'm going through? You're my mother. Like, you're my favorite human being on this earth. Like, and, and now she still cries about it. She's like, I didn't know what you were going through. And then she'll look back at her life and go, oh, I had a panic attack that day. I thought I was just having a meltdown, but my heart was stopping that day. Like I thought I was going to die. And I was like, yeah, we're riddled with anxiety and you guys weren't allowed to talk about it, but we are. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> help. <laughs> I'm like the biggest fan of screaming for help. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, something's wrong. Somebody help me. <laughs> <laughs> what was your worst experience? With panic. Of, with, with panic that you remember so strongly where, where you didn't feel anyone was there to help and you were screaming out for it. I was in New York City. My first like big real panic attack was 4 a.m. It's one of those like, never forget. 4 a.m. I was in Glam getting ready to announce the Grammy nominees for the year after I won. It's like a thing you do when you win, you go announce them. And it was going to be live with Gail King. And my assistant, who's my bestie, still is, she was reading me my schedule for that week. And it was like, sing here, perform there. After all my vocal issues were happening, 
And I'm just like, if I do that, this will, my voice will die and none of you will make money. You know, like yeah. uh, we're all going down. So I was reading this calendar and I was like, but how would I, if I go from there to, uh, oh, there, there's no way I'm going to make that. And then I started getting light. I get a little tingly every time I talk about it. Ah. You start dissociating, like you start leaving your body like a ghost and like breathing, you start thinking about it and full panic comes in. And I started crying because I was like, I think I'm dying. And, and I was like, what's going on? And I just had to scream, cry and breathe. And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, and my assistant looked at me and said, this is a panic attack. And I almost wish they never said that because I was like, what? This is what that is? Because I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't really know what people were saying, like how they felt. You don't know until it's happening. And then when it ended, they were telling me, what's this? I was like, a lamp a TV, a rug, and that like snaps you yes. back into your body. And once I calmed down, they were like, I was like, can that happen whenever? And they were like, mm-hmm. Wish I didn't say that either. Yeah. Screwed me for the rest of the day because I was exhausted and I went on live TV and I haven't watched that clip since, but I remember I blacked out on the TV and was just on autopilot. And I was like, don't pass out, don't pass out, don't die. Like, don't have a freak out live on TV with Gail King. And as soon as they were like, done, I sat down on a chair and I lost it. And all the people on Gail King show saw me and they looked at me like I was a crazy person. And they're like, is she okay? And my team looked at me and they're like, we need to stop. I was supposed to go do like eight more interviews a whole day of work and they just said, stop. I went back to the hotel room and I literally would run to the bathroom thinking I would have diarrhea. I was like, no guys, it's cool. I just have the flu. And they were like, mm-mm. And I would explain it to people like it was like the movies, like when a demon takes over my body yeah. and I had no control anymore. And when a doctor tells you it's your own brain, you're like, well, then I'm going to be in a psych ward like this every day because I can't control that. I don't know how to. And then also I overdosed on edibles, <laughs> which like you can't really do, but I did it. I usually would take, I was self-medicating myself with five milligrams of weed with edibles at night and it really helped in the beginning and it would help me sleep and one day i ran out of the specific edibles that i took and i ate like a lollipop that was 25 milligrams then i was so high that i forgot i ate that and i ate another one and i usually take five right i was up to 50 in one day 50 milligrams in one day i was doing a puzzle and i was like I'm not breathing. Like I, so I tell people my soul left my body. I said bye-bye. And I was dry heaving all night. And that is very similar to what you feel in a panic attack. (laughs) So going to those places twice, my brain was like, we've been there and we could take you there wherever, whenever we want. And so I was really unbalanced. My chemicals were off for a long time, months, trying to figure out like some days would be horrific, couldn't get up. Some, and I was, I was madly in love. My career was great. I would tell doctors, like, I'm not depressed. I didn't feel depressed. I just sometimes, if I, like, sometimes I'll just feel like I have a migraine for the rest of the day. I'd have ice packs on my head. I'd have my mom check my temperature. I was like, no, I just have a flu again. This is crazy. And then I finally went to a psychiatrist and he explained to me, your chemicals are like this. And all day long, your body is saying, fire alarm, fire alarm, fight or flight, run. And I was like, mm-hmm. Like I was sitting with him and my back felt like it was on fire. I was like, see, it's crazy. It's happening right now. It's Feel it. I think it's really hot. He was like, no, your chemicals are so messed up 
that your body doesn't know where you're supposed to be. Your adrenals are on fire. Mm. So I went on my first ever antidepressants. And I used to get complimented like, wow, you're the only pop star not on antidepressants. And I used to be like, well, look at me. Yeah. And now I'm like, that's messed up that they said that to me. Yeah. And like it made me judge people and it, it was yeah. horrible. And now when I was on, when I was finally on the medication, I'm on like the lowest dose. And after a month or two, I was like, it's quiet. Like everything stopped and it was amazing. And I like would talk to my psychiatrist of like, I only had one panic attack this month and it slowly went down and I, it's been like five years now and I haven't had a terrible one since. I'll have nights if I'm overexhausted or my, I'll say my body's trying to trick me right now and trying to pretend I'm in a panic attack. And I know what you doing. You can't mess with me right now. <laughs> and my husband knows too. He knows the drill. Like it saved my life. Yeah. And I don't know what I would do without those pills. And I'm sorry, I'm blabbing, but I no, have you're to not say at this all. too. This is incredible. Please carry on. When I was pregnant and I told people I want to get pregnant. So my doctor, I, um, they were saying this pill is safe that you're on, but this low dose of Ativan is not safe. Get off of that. So I did get off of that. And when I walked into my doctor appointment, pregnant, like day one pregnant, I was, I brought my medicine and was like, this saved my life. And he was like, oh, you could throw those candies away. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I didn't know what to say. I was so scared. And I was like, it was COVID time. So I couldn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. have my husband. I was like, what? And I was in shock and I stayed with that doctor for like weeks and just got worse. And I cried to everyone of like, he just wants me to throw him away, but they saved my life. And my other doctor said, it's totally safe to be on these. So I don't know what to do. And I eventually changed doctors and she was, I had a woman doctor and she was like, that's insane that he said that to you. These are perfectly safe to be on. You're fine. And a happy mom is a happy baby. And I've been trying to tell every pregnant mom or anyone who's going to have a baby and on antidepressants, like, you, you can safely stay on them and nothing bad will happen to your baby. And I never had any postpartum. I didn't have any depression while pregnant. And my pregnancy was obnoxious. I had gestational diabetes, but wow. we did it. We crushed it with a good diet. Diet while pregnant. And I was like, what? <laughs> so no, no cravings. Yeah, but like, it's still like the stigmas yeah. in some of the doctors. And yeah. it's like, and my baby came out C-section because he was sideways. And my baby was in the NICU for five days. And all those nurses said, were you on antidepressants? And I'm, I just got sawed open. I'm on drugs, like trying to heal. I feel horrible. I don't get to see my prize that I went through yeah, all that yeah. for. And I'm in there trying to look at him in the NICU tank. And they're like, well, it's because you were on antidepressants. That's why he won't wake up. I'm like, what? what? And I asked all my doctors and they're all like, dude, there's no science that backs that. They're just pointing so they don't get sued. They're just saying, well, it's because you're on antidepressants and that's why. Um, and it was the most discouraging thing. And I'm writing a book about it because it was it messed me up. And I still talk to my doctor, my psychiatrist recently, because I'm trying to get lower on my antidepressants in case I want another baby, even though there's no science that backs that that can hurt that. Baby. And then what happened after that? My doctor's like, I, I got the charts later because Dr. Amen's like, what? Like, show me, show me how they proved that. Yeah. And all the charts said was like, he's sleepy. He's not waking up. He wakes up on his own time, but it was a C-section. That's just traumatic for a baby totally, to come out. Yeah, yeah. Anything can happen. And it wrote mom 27 on antidepressants. That was it. 
And I was like, you know, it's the worst thing you could tell a person who just had a C-section. It was like, it's your fault that this kid's not awake. Wow. But I can't wait to have three more kids. (laughs) But yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you weren't blabbing at all. It was actually really... No, not at all. Honestly, it was so... Thank you for taking us there because I think, Uh, you know, it's very easy to gloss over some of the detail, but actually to hear the details, what allows us to really empathize in the best way possible, but also just to recognize how much stigma there is. Even hearing the statement where you were saying that, oh, you're the only music artist that's not on these. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, these are going to cause you to have an unhealthy And no one in my family is on them. They should be. Yeah. They could be. I have like plenty of people in my family that I'm like, oh, bipolar, undiagnosed, like for facts. And like sometimes they know it and they use booze to help it. And I'm like, there's better ways. I take my pill and a half at night every night and I feel great. And I don't have to chug a bottle of booze or eat edibles. Like there's a way that a safer way that you could do this. Um, So yeah, those pills help me. But my whole family that they come from a place that's like, you need medicine. Yeah. To make you feel better. I'm like, uh-huh. And the best is when like a doctor said to me, well, you have asthma, right? And I was like, mm-hmm. He's like, you have an inhaler. I was like, mm-hmm. He's like, why can't you have yeah. medicine for your brain? Totally. Period. What, what do you think it was for you that drew you in that direction of wanting to change your habits? Because like we see with so many musicians, uh, with so many artists as well, it's so easy to go down the other road. And like you're saying, it's not about looking down on those people. It's just they didn't have... A family but you're support, saying, they yeah. didn't have the support but what was it for you because obviously like you're saying that the majority of a family may not really understand why you need medicine but you met a psychiatrist you've been very proactive here yeah what made you so convinced that you had to make this change and that you wanted to find this way out because it's so easy and natural for you to turn towards alcohol i was for sure spooked and I um, I knew something was wrong. Like I knew my chemicals were off, but I didn't know my chemicals are off. I was like, my body's broken. My brain is broken and I need help. And I was scared. Yeah. I was scared. I saw me in a psych ward forever for the rest of my life. And I was like, well, I don't want that. Yeah. I want children. I want a family. I want a career. I want to keep going. Like finally all my dreams came true and this is happening. No way. I'm going to fight this. So I wanted to fight it. But also it really, really helped me which is another reason why I talk about all my stuff in case it helps someone is people like Carson, but also my older brother, Ryan, he used booze and drugs for his anxiety. And he's had huge panic attacks that he never told us about. Like he lived in our, um, in our house and in his room, he would, he told me, Oh my God, I would, I was pretty sure I was having a heart attack thinking it was the drugs, but it would be like a hangover convinced. And he would call it scary Sundays. And I was like, this whole time, you just have crazy panic disorder, but you've been like smothering yourself with booze and drugs, flying through it. He's like, yeah, stuff it down, fly, eat some drugs, you'll be fine. Like, drink your medicine. That's what he would say. I'm going to drink my medicine. I'm going to go to bed. Like, he has sleep paralysis. He has the most, his brain's way worse than mine was. So when I would have my panic attacks, I would go to everyone in the house. He lives in my house. And I'd be like, something's wrong. And he'd go. I've been there. I know what you're feeling. Go to the emergency room, ask for the lowest dose of medicine that you can get. Do not let them give you Xanax and then come home and you're going to be fine. And having him like my older soldier brother that could get through anything, look at me and be like, I've done this. You're you're okay. Instead of my mom being like, what are you talking about? You don't need a hospital. He'd be like, go, go to the hospital. They'll tell you you're fine. They'll give you oxygen. You'll come home. You'll be great. And having that like, 
acceptance, but also not be alone feeling was like he saved me. Wow. And that's why I do this podcast with him because wow. he's he's now trying to be sober. And in our first episodes of the podcast, he like you can see him freaking out. And he's like, I don't get to have my medicine. And I and he did it cold turkey. He didn't go to any AA and nothing. No no therapy, no help. He did it by himself, which is so dangerous. Don't ever yeah, do that. Yeah, very, very Now yeah. we're hearing like he could have had a heart attack in yeah. his sleep. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah, he... He's, I would tell him, I'm like, you're you're on extra time, bar- yeah, you're on borrowed yeah, wow. time, my guy. But wow. he's my hero. Very looking forward to meeting him. Now. You're gonna even, love even, him. Even more so, you are yeah. gonna love him. Even more so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What what an incredible story, and to have you both go through that. And we like, we've had like amazing guests, like Dr. Drew, on our podcast, and he loves like he's so funny. He loves celebrity rehab, so he loved Dr. Drew. So <laughs> when Dr. I've been like, Ryan, you got to go to therapy. You have demons in here. Like, yeah. let's go treat them. That's trauma. He was like, No, you're obnoxious. I'll never do therapy. Dr. Drew came on our podcast <laughs> and was like, Brains heal brains. Yeah, you need another brain to heal you. Yeah, and he was like. You're absolutely right. Went to trauma, <laughs> went to trauma therapy that week. I was like, I like so all, whatever you tell him, he'll be like, yes, sir, I will do that. <laughs> like, so you're gonna have to write me a little list. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, pers- tell yeah, him. Yeah. So, yeah. But it is true. We all need to hear it from different voices, different, different faces, yeah. different brains. Like, can't be his little it, sister. Like, yeah. Go to therapy. Like, no. <laughs> but no, but now you're doing that for everyone who's listening and watching us. Like, I'm I, I, I can't yeah. imagine everyone who just heard what you just shared and everyone who's watching this. It's like. There is no one who could have heard that and not be transformed. Like genuinely, I hope so, man. Because yeah. like what Carson did for me is what yeah. I'm just trying to do for anyone out there. That's beautiful. Because there's still parents out there that are like mine that are uneducated and don't know, and they're raising babies like me who didn't know, yeah. and had that stigma forever. Yeah, and and, and, and and I look at my family and I'm like, oh man, like my grandparents would really needed this, you know? Like there yeah. was there was great real crazy trauma back then in my family. Yeah, and that just goes down the line. Yeah, and I feel you only saw it on the public figures. So I just watched the Elvis movie that just came out, mm-hmm. and then obviously Bohemian Rhapsody about Freddie Mercury a few yeah. years ago that came out, and you start studying the stories of all these incredible icons and artists, and you see alcohol and you see drugs, yep. and, you know, and you see that go to a a bitter end, you know, yep. and it's it's painful when your heroes and your yeah inspirations go that way but now when you see them go the other way it's it's so isn't it so cool though that now it's like the rock stars that were like our heroes but they died of an overdose we're like ugh, we can't do that nowadays like health is in right now i hope so we want to make it more in. i hope i know i want to make it more in like even body types though it's like fitness is hot i'm like I want to work out and be hot, you yeah. know, and fit and healthy, not like and strong. And, yeah, I yeah. want to be strong. I want yeah. muscles. I see yeah. muscles on my thighs now, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so hot. Like, it's what, sick. What do you think that got you to that place of your? And and it's so interesting how so much of it is chemical. And I and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. That I know so many people who get into a negative rhetoric in their head where it's like, I'm the worst. I'm I'm spirals. this. I'm that. And it spirals, and they think there's something wrong. Like mentally or psychologically and there are ch- changes they're needed but so much of it is chemical like i had I've, I've spoken about this a few times it sounds so average but when i heard it from my doctors and my teams it, it fascinated me so i went recently i was not mm, probably in the last 12 months 24 months i was feeling more tired and there's plenty of reasons for that we were renting a house during you COVID. Work hard. <laughs> no, no, no. there's that but we were renting a home during covid during the daytime it was beautiful and at nighttime, 
it didn't feel so beautiful. And it was like, there were animals in the floorboards and animals in the walls. And like, so you could hear scratching at night and like steps, you know, like it was, it was hard to sleep. And we just rented it during COVID to have a bit more space. And so I was dying to move out and hence we got this place and moved. But during that time, I don't think my sleep quality was good. And I always sleep eight hours a night. I'm very, I don't negotiate with my sleep. I sleep 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Very important to me. Same. But but at that time, even though I was in bed for that long, I wasn't getting good quality good sleep. sleep. Yeah. And so I was, I was feeling exhausted. So I started checking with my doctor and they said, your vitamin D levels are at a 10. Healthy is 100 and average is 60. And my, my, my doctor said to me and my nutritionist and my health team that I have, yep. they said to me, they said, Jay, we don't know how you're not depressed. Literally. And I was like, I'm not depressed at all. I'm absolutely fine. And they're like, but your chemicals in your body show yep. complete. And I was like, that's fascinating to me that sure because of my meditation and mindfulness i was able to not be depressed. but you could be depressed just because you don't have enough vitamin d in your body like Literally. it can be as simple as that well i got a dietitian yeah. who um tra transformed my life she helped me healthily lose 60 pounds which was like one pound a week of changing my lifestyle wow but food is poison you know like bad foods i just saw a tiktok where this guy was like i had anger issues and i was mean and i was in high school and even though i was like a smart kid i i remember i ate like the burger and the cafeteria food every day yeah. and no matter how smart i was i was like i'm gonna go fight today because i was angry and when i started eating healthy i was less wow. angry like yeah, 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 yeah i have a cousin who has really anger issues but i also know he eats fast food because my it's like food's expensive and they yeah. can't go to whole foods like me all the time Absolutely. and so and there's three of the three kids so mom's trying to feed all of them but I know that that food is just feeding his anger and his, you know, so it's super sad watching that and knowing like, oh my God, the rest of the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's a challenge, right? It's how can we make food affordable, accessible, yeah. healthy, tasty? My like, dietitian, she's like, don't even get me started on f like the food, uh, industry. food in, yeah. in cafeterias though for kids, yeah. for children. It's like, how do you expect them to work all day and like... Eat have that. energy yeah it's so like i would come i remember now when i would come home from school nap every day bro i'd nap and my mom be like it's dinner wake up i'm like okay like <laughs> no wonder i was like <laughs> chubby and depressed and sad like yeah and it's hard again because it's all habits yeah I, I was saying recently to someone like our biggest crisis is a crisis of habits like yeah. our life is defined by habits yeah and we've just adopted a ton of bad habits mentally physically yep. emotionally and now we keep repeating them that's what growing up is that's is it breaking all these ha habits my dietitian was like you have to and my therapist is like you have to rewire your whole brain yes everything you knew is wrong and yes. i'm like oh my god yeah, no, like, that's and even so my, my poor mom like she was even trying to help us like we were that family we were all chubby and my mom was like we're gonna do weight watcher snacks but like back then like it's still crap yeah. like it's still like what are you eating and she tried she tried to get all the low calorie orange juice and we're like or it's the orange juice is the issue yes, you know yeah, like yeah, it's got so much but they tried they're way. uneducated they didn't know so yeah, of course they didn't know my mom was just doing her very best but when i look back i'm like oh my god i was eating poison like yeah it i used all to eat four sense. chocolate products a day like i used to eat chocolate biscuit <laughs> I used to eat Reese's pieces every yeah. day bro what are you a chocolate about? biscuit a chocolate bar a chocolate yogurt and a chocolate ice cream every single day Were you fat yes and it was Love amazing it. that's why it, you're so nice it was amazing <laughs> it was like you know I, boys and girls club no it's like a place no. where kids can go after school okay we had that on nantucket and we had our little snack thing we had i had cheez-its reese's 
blue Powerade every day. Oh my god, horrific! Yeah, after school, I go eat that and yeah. then play. Yeah, and and that's what and, and it took I was me active. ages. <laughs> my wife had to powerfully train me out of my addiction to chocolate, and I know that sounds so like no, I, I need to do that say, to Daryl. I was literally addicted to sugar. He's addicted to sugar. I was addicted it's to sugar, so and my wife had to completely train me out of mm -hmm. it. And it's been an amazing journey for me yeah. because it sounds like oh, it's sugar. Who cares? It's like sugar's no, really can get really bad. Crack. Like, yeah, it's like sugar's like the one it's that poison. everyone gets away with. Yeah, like people like when someone gets sober from alcohol or drugs, we're like my brother. He's like. I love sugar. Yeah. I'm like, careful, my guy. I literally <laughs> was dependent on sugar for so many yeah. years and it, and it took ages to get off of it. And even now I found, I'm now at the other side, which is really beautiful, where now, even when my mind still tricks me into wanting really unhealthy food, yeah. when I have it, I actually don't enjoy it Oh, as much and anymore. you get sick. Yes, yeah. It I notice anytime anymore. I cheat now, I get ill and yeah. I'm like, like when you drink a bunch of booze and you're like, never again. It's yeah. like that. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is poison. I forgot. Like, yeah. And you have to remember no, that never again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Tell, tell me about you're you're in such a, and you've spoken about in this interview already. You're in a healthy relationship now, uh, you know, and you have been for a long period of time, obviously with Daryl. With food and yeah. my man. I was yeah. about, yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. about with, with love. Yeah, yes. yeah, with love. Yeah. I won. And, and I, just got, I meet, got lucky. And I'm so grateful I got to meet Daryl today as well, because oh, it's always fun. Like, and yeah, he's amazing. How did you know? that that was how you were meant to be treated because I think so many people get into a pattern of accepting a certain level of treatment. Yeah, how I always, you know? I figured like, because of like relationships I've seen in my family, I'm like, she'll deal with it and I'll, I'll just train him to be better. And when I met Daryl, he still to this day like opens every door, drives me wherever I need to go because he knows I'm scared to drive, takes care of me. No one's ever taken care of me like that except my parents. And he says, I'll take care of you so, to this day. And that's when I was like, oh my God, I want to only be with you for the rest of my life. I want to be 105 and die next to you while holding your hand. And it's taught me how to care for someone and take and love them like that. But um, yeah, it was like the chivalry, whatever it's called. It was the, it was the kindness and the simple things yeah. of opening doors and making sure I was okay. And he came on tour day 11 after day six when we said, I love you, day 11. I was like, I have to do a, a tour now. Would you like to come with me? And he was like, well, I got nothing else to do. So, <laughs> and he stayed on that bus and did the whole tour with me. And after every show, he caught me off stage. He would carry me to the, the little golf cart <laughs> and he would help me take my wig off and he'd massage my feet. Like month one meeting this person. And I was like, you're gonna take care of me forever. Wow. And he went through me when I had vocal surgery, like four months of dating, I had vocal surgery, I couldn't talk, couldn't say I love you back. I was mute for months and he still loved me. The way he treated me through my pregnancy was insane. Just like, and, and it makes me like, as much as I tell the world like, hey, if you have mental health, ask for help. I also wanna say, hey, don't settle, you yeah, know, cause there's yeah. a guy out there that will rub your nasty feet after a two hour show <laughs> and will worship the ground you walk on. They exist, and I know it's hard in LA to find them, but I found them, <laughs> and if I can find them, you can find them, you know? Like, they are real, and it's the people you wanna procreate with. Like, he never saw himself as a father because his father left their family when he was one years old. Wow. So he was like, I'm not gonna be a dad. I don't know what a dad is. He saw me and was like, I want babies with you. Like, I wanna procreate, I wanna make more of us. And I was like, we should make more of us. <laughs> <laughs> It's One like, that's, I think that when they're like, you know, when you know that yeah. whole thing is yeah. like, oh, I want forever and yeah. I want more views. I want to make more views. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I love that. That's how I figured and it out. Where did you get to a point where it was like, it sounds like you were in your early years using your body as a way of validation yeah. and like all of the, when or where are you now at in terms of validating yourself? Like, where are you looking for your validation from now? Where is it coming from at this point? In um, time? I'm still super hard on my body. Like I've lost all this weight and I still feel exactly the same. I'm still like, ah, oh, I can't wear shorts or I can't wear sleeveless things. And, and my husband catches me and is, and is like, hey, you're being so mean to yourself. Look how gorgeous you are. And uh, it's a thing you have to work on. I have to reprogram my brain to be like, no, I look good today. And the only thing that I saw actually make a difference, which I truthfully don't do, um, <laughs> is because I got to do it more because it's so hard. My therapist told me, stand in the mirror naked for five minutes, put a timer on and just look at yourself. Day one, I was literally shaking because I was like, mm -mm. like it was already tough for me to love my body. But after the C-section scar with all the stretch marks, my family's like smothered in stretch marks. Like it's genetic. So I'm going to get it. Got it. So the stretch marks go up. The C-section goes across. Now I'm looking at myself like a, a lawnmower ran over me. Like I've been hacked. And so, and there's no fix in that. So I was like staring at that, like, oh, and all that trauma that comes with it. But after, and I was just looking at the clock, like, please be done. But day three, when I did it, I was like, you know what? Her thighs are cute. You know, I started complimenting her and I was like, oh, I see my brain changing already. And if I did it more, I'd probably be better at it. But like our bathroom, we have a giant mirror in it. So when I, when I get naked every day, I see it. And I think that helps. My mom like avoids mirrors and avoids, yeah. she doesn't want to like have my, my father be anywhere near the shower when she's in it. I'm like, oh my God, I used to shower with Daryl. Like what? Like she's very hot. And I think that's what keeps her insecurities stuck there. Yeah. You know, you have to like literally get naked and start looking at yourself. <laughs> yeah. Because wow. like this is our shell, you know? Absolutely, yeah. This is our, our body. This is it. This is what we got. So like let's treat it well. Yeah, and I think that's the idea that if we can't look in the mirror and say I'm happy with what I see today, yeah, it's really hard to think tomorrow you're going to wake up and say, I feel really happy what, with what I see tomorrow in yeah. the sense of even if you've changed, whether you lose weight or gain weight, whatever you're trying to do, yeah. if you're not happy with where you are now, it's never going to feel different yeah. on the other side It's like because that's just a repetitive pattern. Yeah. When people are like, how are you so confident and love yourself? I'm like, ooh, I'm working on it every day. Yeah, exactly. I wrote a song called Working On It, which is why our podcast is that because yeah. it's about when you get a compliment and you're like, ew. And someone's like, you yeah. look beautiful. You're like, shut up, ew, I'm disgusting. It's like, whoa, I'm going to work on not doing that and go, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like try to believe what they're saying. Because yes. they're not saying it, they're not lying. Yes. You know, like yeah, what's yeah. the benefit of them being yeah. like. Yeah, when I was a monk, we got trained beautifully in how to receive compliments. It was like a big part Isn't of our training. Isn't that the hardest thing ever? Yeah, and it was, but it was taught to us so wonderfully. The first thing was always to receive well from the other person so what you just said like thanking the other person because what you're doing is you're rewarding them for noticing something good yeah so you get an opportunity to say wow like they're noticing something good whether it's in me or not it doesn't matter for now for now it's just we should really acknowledge someone who decided to compliment you versus criticize you the second step Dude. the second step was now that you've done that think about who gave you that quality Think about how you learned it. Did you get it from your parents? Oh. Did you get it from your teachers? Who was it in your life that gave you that gift? And now you get to turn that compliment into gratitude and you get to thank that person. So mm -hmm. internally, when you, th when you receive a thank you, not only do you get to receive it, you now get to thank someone else and, and pass that gratitude on. And it's just this beautiful process Sick. of 
compliments to gratitude, which we know are great for the it's brain. It's all good, yeah. And so it's all good. And so, yeah, I love that you brought that up. It's really special. I love it. Megan, That's what we're this, working on. This has been even more than I expected. Show yes, me. it has. It is. This has been. Thank you. I knew it was going to be fun, but it's like we've done this beautiful thing where like we've gone really deep and then you're just hilarious and then and then adorable <laughs> like and then really deep and then hilarious. And so I'm like, I'm like literally been playing with my emotions, uh, but in, in the most beautiful way. Uh, we end every episode of On Purpose with a final five. So this is the rapid final fire. Oh, gosh. Uh, so you have to answer in one word to one sentence maximum. Oh, I'm okay. so bad at that. Okay, here <laughs> you we can go. Try. I we can, can do try. it. We'll probably go off piece because you're so interesting that I'm going to be like, oh, tell me more. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, we'll start. All right, question number one. Uh, what is the number one thing you're working on in your relationship and what's the number one thing Daryl's working on? Understanding his feelings. That sounds good. <laughs> the boy can feel. He's got a lot of feelings and I'm like, Dr. Phil taught me perception is reality. So even though it seems like he's being irrational, because yes. he is, I have to realize like, oh, he's in that moment right now and I have to take care of him as if that's real and then pull him out of it. And I always do. I love that. And what's he trying to do for you? <laughs> <laughs> that's like the, the toughest part for us because I'm so, I'm sorry I'm using so many words. You're not But I'm so Massachusetts like, sack up, bro. Like I'm raised by brothers. Like, why are you so emotional? Why are you crying? And he's like, oh, you know, so... He's trying to communicate better yeah. his feelings to me and trying to, yeah, I guess. Ask him, yeah, he'll yeah. tell you. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to ask him. <laughs> it's that. It's yeah. the very, I'm cold and he's soft. Yeah, I get But it, it works. <laughs> Man, it works. <laughs> Question number two, uh, what is your daily routine for your anxiety today? My husband, Transcendental Meditations, every day. That's Amazing. not how I say it, but 20 minutes morning and night. I do that sometimes especially when I need it, today, I'm gonna, oh, I have therapy today uh, at 4 p.m. We love it. And I'm gonna try to work out. I love that. That's beautiful. That's nice and simple. Easy. Right? Yeah, easy. All right, uh, question number three. What's the best advice you've ever received? Life will get better if you let it from my father. Nice. Question number four. What's the worst advice you've ever received? I mean, this isn't the worst advice. I can't think of anything. But you know what we got a lot of when we were getting married and when we were having babies? We would ask older couples. Like, uh. it was the worst thing to do. <laughs> we were like, how do you have a marriage so long? And the, the men would say, son, surrender. Or just like, keep your head down. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, don't do that. <laughs> and then having babies, they'd be like, well, your life's over now and now it's theirs. And I was yeah, like, that's not true. My like life that. has just begun. Yeah. So we hated that advice. Definitely. That's. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. It can be really. It can be so. It's literally opposite. Yeah. It's. It can be really, it's like, really up. detrimental. Yeah. 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 I. Re I remember that when I, when I left the monastery and I decided to start doing what I do today, and I was. I was. My. My biggest fear internally was that I wouldn't be able to serve in the way I wanted to serve, and everyone was just like, "Oh well, now you can't. You're going to get a real job. You're going to get married. Like, you're not going to be able to serve the world anymore." But, and I was just like, you know, now I look back and I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't accept that. Yeah. And same with when I got married, everyone's like, oh, you're going to have less time to do impact and work in the world. And I was like, you're going to have a partner now to help you with it. Exactly. Yeah. Literally. No, I, I'm glad you raised that. All right. Fifth and final question. If you could create one law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? You cannot bully online. 
Nice. I actually like that. Really? That's a great law. Yeah, you can we've have never a had it. Comment. We've never had it before. <laughs> Imagine if it was all positive comments. Oh yeah. My Instagram's pretty positive. Is like, it? Yeah, same. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, same, same. But I'm it's, like, this yeah. is great. We, when we, they're like, do you read comments? I'm like, yeah, because they're nice sometimes. <laughs> like, I need that little confidence boost. <laughs> Everyone, Megan Trainer, the really? new album is arriving October 21st, 2022. Very, very pumped to get to know you better, to deepen our relationship, to deepen our friendship. Let's meditate. Um, and just, yeah, genuinely so, so in awe of the journey you've been on, the steps you've taken and how you're passing that on to everyone else. It's really powerful. So thank you so much for doing that. Thanks, man. Ditto. Love it. Ditto. Thank you.